Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 19, Episode 18, powered by Huddle Analysis, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream. Four student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. Now, this is going to be really interesting next two segments. So we're happy to bring on Mike McMahon, College Hockey Insider uh, and Senior Writer for the College Hockey News. This has been a story that both Mike and I have been discussing for a decade. And it's finally come to fruition in a sense where it's becoming more front burner. And we're talking about CHL Canadian Hockey League players being eligible to play in the NCAA for, and for the most of our lives or all of our lives, that's never been an issue or a topic of conversation. We've always thought, Mike, it was a matter of not if, but when this was going to transpire. And the NCAA always thought that CHL players were ineligible because they deemed them as professional players because they signed a contract. And I'm not saying that, and I think this became much more of a front burner issue and a concern for the NCAA, I think because of Austin Swankler, when he played for Erie Otters and then he had the year off and then he was signed by Bowling Green, um, given a scholarship and went to college hockey And then they realized, oops, he wasn't really eligible, but now it's too late. Now, I'm not saying this was the reason for this to happen. I think it was just a final nail in the coffin because there were other things that really added to it. I think nil really made a difference in terms of the name and, you know, likeness that really pushed things forward. And the other fact, Mike, that I think that, you know, the NCAA looks at it and they go, you know, we, we're going to lose a, cl- uh, a class action lawsuit if the CHL players come in and say, wait a minute, we're eligible and you're denying us our eligibility and I'm losing a potentially 200000 or $250,000 scholarship. And that's fine if it's one player, but what happens if it's a hundred? Yeah. And that's the situation we're looking at. So you know, you cover college hockey on a regular basis. I cover it from afar, but I go and see college hockey games, you know, and, and obviously I cover the prospects, but you're embedded in college hockey. From your perspective, and you've been covering this story for quite some time, thoughts on what you think the general impact is going to be to college hockey if the CHL players become eligible and it certainly won't be this fall, it won't be in 2024, but most likely be in the fall of 2025. What do you think the impact will be? Because I think it's going to be a seismic shift in the NHL, college hockey, CHL. I think it's a seismic shift in hockey. And I don't think anybody's really talking about it. Uh, yeah, I agree. Especially when you look at the number of players, uh, you know, I, I kind of break it down like this. I, I And to back it up a little bit, I agree with you. I think, I think the main thing pushing this forward is the NIL money. Uh, the big reason being, that from my understanding, this whole thing started with the NCAA looking at all of their sports 
and trying to determine where are we vulnerable to future litigation. Uh, it wasn't just a hockey thing. They looked at all their sports, and then they went to those individual sports, like the coaching bodies of those individual sports, and said, look, we're, we're thinking about making this change because we think we're vulnerable here. What do you think of it? Uh, so that that's kind of the stage that it's at now. The coaches are are asked for their opinion. They'll give their opinion in more detail in the spring. They have their coaches' convention. Uh, but the in NCAA – in Naples, yeah, and the NCAA at the end of the day is the one making this decision. The coaches will have input in terms of an opinion, but the coaches, uh, the NCAA is is the one who's going to make this decision based upon the fact that, you know, like you had mentioned, because of the fact that the, these players are being compensated now through through NIL money and through something else called Alston money, uh, and then the, it the, makes pro the, the pro argument one, moot. Moot, and the big one too. Uh, is a couple of months ago, Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA, talked about uh, the this potential for a new tier of Division One, mainly for big football and big basketball. That's really what he's talking about. However, this new tier of Division One would include just straight up paying players. Hey, you're getting a scholarship and you're getting a salary. <laughs> uh, so that's where I think a lot of it's coming from is they're looking at that going, hey, so we, we have we have deemed these CHL players ineligible in the past because, you know, they get a per diem or or whatever their their rationale was. Uh, one of the big ones, which is not going to change, is the fact that the NHL can obviously assign players to CHL to the CHL league. So, uh, the, the NCAA goes, well, you're playing with professional players. That that's that's why you're not an amateur. Well, it's anymore. also ridiculous. It's a, it's, it's a ridiculous it's a flimsy statement. argument. Yeah, of course it is because anytime you play in an international tournament, say if it's the World Junior Championships mm-hmm. U twenty. The kids that come come and play for Team USA or any other country, including Canada, that are college players are now playing against pro players. Yep. So you now just yep. made those players ineligible. But they said, "Oh, that doesn't count." Which is international com- tournament. Totally which is completely <laughs> no- complete nonsense, right? Yeah. You you either playing against pro players or you're not playing against pro players. Which exactly. one is it? So I, I think what it really boils down to is the NCAA has looked at this. And this is a a vulnerability that they have found. And they have said, hey, uh, exactly as you said, if we are ever challenged about this in court, we're going to lose. And if you look up the NCAA's track record in court, it's not good. I'm not sure they've won one case. I mean, when it comes to this type of litigation, this eligibility type stuff, they are winless. (laughs) Uh, They they don't win. They they lose every single time. So I I think this is a, a potential big money issue that they're trying to get out in front of. And then what does it do? Well, from a college program standpoint, there's there's definitely, and I've probably spoken to three dozen people about this in the last four or five days. Uh, people in the NHL, people in the the couple people in the CHL, a couple a lot of people in the NCAA. I, I, there's obviously NCAA programs individually that don't want this to happen. I, I found two generalities, and, and these aren't you know hard and fast rules. I'm sure there's some exceptions. Uh, but the programs that you can think of that generally recruit the the best eighteen and nineteen year olds, the ones that generally recruit the first and second round picks, the kids out of the program, be, out of the out of the program. Yeah, and the, and those programs tend to be the ones that don't really want to see this change happen. The ones the the coaches that I've spoken to who are excited about it, who see it as a potential uh, to to help their program, are the programs that that generally recruit the older player. The twenty-year-old out of the BCHL or the use or the USHL or 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 out of Europe or what have you. So that and again, there's I'm sure there's exceptions to both sides of that. But the 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 line between the the ones that want it and the ones that don't tend to be the ones that recruit the blue, the blue chippers tend to not want it. The ones that recruit the older players tend to want it. Uh, and, and 
I'm curious to what the coach's opinion will be in Naples in a couple of months because, let's face it, there's a lot more programs recruiting the older 20-year-old players than there are recruiting the first-round picks. That's, that's a very small group. That's interesting you say that because I was I went through the 64 teams in college hockey in the United States, and I looked at it from this perspective. Okay, 64, how many of them generally recruit the blue chippers as we talked about? And I picked out 13 teams, mm-hmm. 13, that about right. 13. Yeah. So 51 don't now that could slide to maybe. And I said, there was a slot. I was looking at it. Maybe there's a slide to about another five. So it could be up to 18, but 18 out of 64. Look, 75% yeah. of them are going to vote for it. It's in their best interest. So. And that's the thing. Like I know they're discussing it as leagues right now. Uh, so some leagues have a call about this as early as this week. Uh, and it's funny because I've had some coaches who think it's going to be about split, about 50-50 in terms of like an overall vote for the, for the country. Uh, I haven't really found a coach who's been willing to admit that he doesn't think it's going to be any worse than like 40 to 20 <laughs> in yeah. favor because of the number of schools that, that are really, I think, are going to look or, or have a strong opinion that this may be good. There's also good. There's also coaches, by the way, who I've talked to who have been like, I don't know that it's going to make much of a difference at all. I, I I think they're they need more information, right? But uh, it, it's it's still important to know, as we discussed earlier, it could be sixty four to, to to nothing against making the change. If the NCAA still decides, if the lawyers still decide that they want to do it, they're going to do it. Yeah. They're asked the, the coaches have been asked for an opinion. They've been told we will we will weigh your opinion heavily uh, in our in our decision making process. But ultimately, it is an NCAA decision. It's the great green convincer. If they're if they're they look at the liability of NCAA and a class action lawsuit, and the the problem is because the more information gets out to the CHL players and to their agents that wait a minute, I have a really good player who could be eligible, and now you're saying he's not, but the precedent's on my side. Now what happens? So that's the key thing. That's what's really going to be interesting is because once you open up the discussion, like you can't hide it anymore. Like now you have no defense. You have no defense from that standpoint. So I think it's going to be really fascinating. Stay tuned. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio where we're going to continue to talk about this subject with Mike McMahon right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. 
Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Huddle Analysis. You're offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. I'm continuing to speak with Mike McMahon, College Hockey Insider, as well as senior writer for the College Hockey News. We're talking about CHL players being eligible for the NCAA. Now, Mike, you know, we've talked about some different timelines in regards to when this can happen. And there are procedures in place that have to be completed by the NCAA. And we, you know, talked in a previous segment about, you know, the coaches having some input into this, but at the end of the day, the NCAA is going to lay the hammer on this. So walk through some of the procedures and some of the timelines that you're aware of and what's the next steps of this process moving forward. Uh, sure. So some of these committees, I don't know what the, the official name is, right? But the way it kind of goes is the coaches will meet in the spring and, and in Naples. I think that's either last week of April or first week of May. And that's when they'll officially kind of give their opinion in the NCAA of, of this is what our findings were. Uh, this is what what the coaches, the coaching body's opinion is. Uh, the NCAA takes that from that point and makes their decision. And, and let's say for sake of this argument, they decide we're going to say that these players are eligible. And that's what we're going to rule. It would then go into, you know, that would probably happen early in the summer. Uh, and then as it was explained to me, it would go to uh, another level of a committee, uh, let, let's call it. I don't know if it's called the legislative committee or the governance committee or whatever it is. Uh, but that would happen either late summer 2024 or, or early part of the fall in 2024. Uh, and then it needs to go to the, the D1 council, I think is what it's called. That's kind of the final step. Uh, and that's how it gets implemented into NCAA law or legislature or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and that would probably happen. And they, this is roughly because the dates of these meetings can change. Uh, it was explained to me they, probably about a year from now, January or February 2025, uh, which is why the change would the earliest I think it'd be implemented is for the fall of 25. So we're talking about that 25-26 season uh, as being the earliest that the that these changes could be in effect for. If there's any delay. In that process, which I mean, sometimes when you're dealing with, with this sort of thing, there there can be, it, it may get pushed to that 26, 27 season. But either way, most people who think most people in the NCAA, both at the team level and at the NCAA level, uh, at, at the, the in terms of the institution of the NCAA that I spoke to about this, all kind of felt that that 25, 26 season was more than likely going to be the first one. That's interesting because that's the same information that I received when I was doing some due diligence on the subject matter. And, you know, both you and I have been holding this discussion publicly for quite some time, waiting for sort of the shoe to drop. And I think finally, after Christmas, the shoe kind of finally said, okay, this is going to happen. This is when we had to start thinking about and talking to people about, 
okay, well, then how does this transpire? How does this all play out in terms of, so what are the next steps in terms of procedurally? But then also you got to look at it from a CHL standpoint, and that's going to be an interesting discussion as well as how do they, how do they structure it as well? Like, like the, one of the interesting things that people may not realize is the NCAA is not going to go to CHL and say, what do you think? They're just going to let <laughs> no. the players, they're just going to let the players be <laughs> eligible and say, Hey, by the exactly. way, you guys are eligible. Yeah. And yep. Now that's all they're going to do. Anyone no. else needs to react to it can react to it. The right. NCAA is not having discussions with any other league. They're just saying the players are eligible now. That, exactly. Right. And then, then how does that, how does that change the CHL? And then how does that affect the junior A leagues? How does that oh, affect, it's a trickle down? Yeah. How does that affect the USHL? Right. And we've had this discussion about, you know, how does that impact the USHL? And then how does that affect the high school hockey in the United States? How many players from high school hockey are going to get potentially bumped out of scholarships because you have a CHL player who's played potentially say, say he's played that player's played three years in CHL against really tough elite comp um, competition. And then as a 20 year old, it's eligible to go play, say potentially as a 20 year old goes to play college hockey. Who are you like, who's going to get bumped out for a scholarship? You're going to take a high school kid out of like, say out of the Northeast or, or Minnesota, or are you going to take a kid who's, who's been hardened by the CHL for three years. And as a 20 year old yeah. over an 18 year old high school kid, I'm like, I'm not saying high school hockey is not good, but it doesn't compare to the CHL. Otherwise, the majority of players in the NHL draft would be drafted out of high school. They're yeah. not. It's it's interesting because I was having this discussion with an agent uh, last week, actually. And, and it's interesting because from an NCAA perspective, the talent pool is going to get bigger here in terms of the, the pond that they have to fish in to get players gets bigger. But at the same time, the, the opportunities are going to shrink because – you're going to have players that were not eligible for scholarships before that are now going to be eligible for scholarships. So before, if you chose as a 16-year-old, I'm going to go the CHL route, you, you are not going to play college hockey. You're never going to get a scholarship. That was determined when you were 16 years old. Now that player can go play in the CHL at 16, come to college when he's 20. So now you, there's going to be the players will have the opportunity to actually do both, right? Play in the CHL at a younger age, come to college when they're 19 or 20 years old. So for, while the pool of players gets bigger, the opportunities for, for players shrinks. is going to actually get smaller. It's, it's kind of a weird dynamic the way it's going to work out. One of the other interesting things is how the USHL is going to react to this because it could put them at a disadvantage. They may have to, and we've discussed this off air, is they may have to pull themselves away from USA Hockey and saying, okay, we're affi loosely affiliated, similar to what CHL is with Hockey Canada. We're affiliated, but we can't be directly affiliated. At this point, we need to be on the same level as the CHL players. Otherwise, we're going to be at a disadvantage of recruitment, which could totally change the dynamic of junior hockey in North America. So it's not that you have a CHL option and a USHL option, and the USHL players will go on to play college hockey. Now it doesn't matter. So potentially change mm -hmm. how they operate. And they may have to operate exactly like a CHL team, which changes how they potentially recruit. So then it could yeah. just open it up where 
it could be in a situation, Mike, where the USHL ends up banding together with the, C- the other three CHL leagues. And now it's four teams, four leagues. Mm-hmm. And they all work in conjunction with each other. And then those players move on to play in college hockey. But I think what it's a lot easier to have a Memorial Cup. Yes, from that standpoint, but and and then and then you have the considerations of the junior A leagues in Canada and how it affects them. And that's where I think the super leagues will come into place where you know you have like five really strong teams in the BCHL and five in in the Alberta Junior League, and they get together and play a super team, and then the other junior A teams generally become probably junior B and that yeah. then end up may being the same similar situation. What happens with high school hockey in, in the United States, like it could be right now, it's a pretty strong tier and has influence. And a lot of those players go on to play college hockey, but it could push them into a lower tier where they are almost mm-hmm. like junior B in Canada. So it could be this tiered system where, there's the USHL and the CHL as this upper tier, and then maybe a super league in Canada of maybe 10 or 12 teams of junior A, and then it'll be like junior B in high school hockey is that lower. And they yeah. end up may end up feeding division three, like those high school, unless you're an elite high school player in the United States, you may end up having no choice, but to go to, to div, div three instead of div one, unless you change your tune and go and play in the USHL or the CHL. It, it's going to be a chasmal. It's going to be a massive change, potentially a massive change to what junior hockey and high school hockey is in North America. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, because the USHL component is interesting in, in all this, but it, they are different in a lot of ways in the CHL, not just in the way they operate, but in terms of some of those markets, like I don't know that they could survive up against some of those top CHL sure players. You look at some of the top teams. I think teams, they can. Swift you know, current. So, some of them can. Some of them absolutely can. Look, if you can, I, have, I, a, I, if you can have a Swift current or a Bay Como or a Noranda in the CHL, all the, the USHL markets will be fine. I, I think most of them will be. I think there's some smaller markets that even right now struggle a little bit financially, where now if you're looking at the the potential for having to compete against those bigger, those really those, those much bigger programs, uh, you know, I wonder if some of those owners decide, hey, we're going to take a, a different path. You know, I, I think I, I, don't I think, think the majority of them would be would be fine. I think I think the majority of them would be fine. Yeah, I uh, think they'll all be a, fine. Yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder about a couple of the smaller ones, uh, yeah. just in terms of because it sounds like, you know, there, there's there's a couple of those smaller markets I think that are even a little bit behind financially from the rest of the teams in the USHL. We could see that. So uh, let's continue this conversation as this story develops. But once again, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back on Hockey Prospect Radio right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back empowered by Huddle Analysis, often the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now joined by Jason Buchla from the Pro Hockey Group as well as Sportsnet. Jason, thanks for coming on the show again. Appreciate it. Absolutely. No problem, Shane. So the topic of discussion today, it's an interesting one. So we had Mike McMahon, uh, College Hockey Insider, and from the college hockey news discussing the topic. And this has been percolating for well over a decade behind the scenes, but it's never really come to any type of fruition, obviously. And it hasn't really been, the drums haven't been banged loud enough for anybody to really take notice. And that is CHL players being eligible to play in NCAA hockey. And behind the scenes, there's been a lot, a lot of discussion from an NCAA standpoint, there's been discussion at the CHL level. There's been discussion about it at the USHL level. And at this point, you know, with Jason, with nil coming in to college hockey, into college hockey and to the NCAA in general, uh, name like, you know, image and likeness, it's open a Pandora's box and NCAA, you know, prefers not to be sued and not have to go to have any court cases. They prefer not to dra- drain ever- any of their revenue. And this may come to a point where they rubber stamp, and this isn't in any immediate future, we're probably looking at two years down the road, that in college, uh, the CHL players would become eligible to play in college hockey, which could drastically change the landscape of what junior hockey looks like not only in Canada, but in the United States as well, and opens up a whole new Pandora's box and potentially, and we'll talk about it in the next, in the next segment, but the NHL CHL agreement as well. So thoughts on CHL players potentially being eligible to play in NCAA hockey. Well, you touched on it. I mean, this has been a discussion that's kind of been percolating behind closed doors for several years off and on you know it's never really got much traction you know you've always heard some rumors here and there and there's been a few loopholes where you've seen a player to take a year off after playing in the chl and, and join swankler which really swankler bowl, set a precedent yeah, yeah at bowling green right so um you know now of course and you kind of touched on it with nil in the states and i'm not i don't know enough about how that works exactly nil like all the uh, legalities of it if you will but 
it certainly seems to me that from the outside looking in that compared to a CHL player who's getting per diem, if you will, um, you know, compared to what these athletes are getting through nil, it's not even apples to apples, is it? Like it's, it's, it's a crazy amount of money that's being generated down there for sport, which is good, by the way, I believe. I think that, you know, uh, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but if you're going to put 110,000 people on a football stadium, I, I think that, uh, you know, those kids are pretty much professional athletes at that point on the football side. So anyways, I digress. And, um, you know, this is very interesting to me because I think what you're looking at is uh, so many tiers and the impact of the CHL level it will extend the career of some potentially, right? You know, like a 19-year-old, potentially 20-year-old. I'll be interested to see if it has an effect on the overage stat, like how many overage players you can carry on your CHL roster, because obviously CHL teams aren't going to want to lose players. But at the same time, if they've only got a couple of slots and the kid wants to continue his career and he's good enough to go play at a college in the States after his CHL career, drafted or not, you know, that's a nice opportunity, isn't it? And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting beyond that to see, let's just say you're a third-round pick of the Buffalo Sabres, and, you know, after two years in major junior hockey, you're not quite ready to sign a contract yet. Um, there's an opportunity to extend your development curve uh, at the college level. Um, is that going to be allowed? Uh, is the NHL going to extend the uh, – the, um, kind of the, the development window there from two years to X number of years. Cause as you know, an NCAA player is four years. So yeah. um, are they going to do that? So there's a lot of moving parts here. It's a fascinating discussion. From a CHL standpoint, let's stick with them, uh, which is really interesting. I think the advantages from a business standpoint, and we'll look at the business side of it is that the CHL, which is a smaller entity, like we look at it as a big entity because we live in a, the hockey bubble particularly because we were both Canadians. So we see it as this massive entity. But you, if you look at it from the scope of the NCAA, it's a very small entity. And mm -hmm. for the CHL's opportunity to piggyback the brand of the NCAA is a really interesting opportunity in terms of generating different types of revenue streams by co-branding. Like in today's business world, you know, we look at products and services, but so many of the larger companies, they really are just sending, selling a brand and yeah. selling the lifestyle. So how much of the CHL brand can be piggybacked through NCAA and how much some revenue streams can fall back if you are a corporation looking to find a place to like advertise and sponsor and be an official partner. If the CHL is involved in that and they have US-based obviously teams and how this affects the USHL. We're not sure. Maybe there's a potential partnership in that. That opens the scope of, oh, the CHL teams become much more attractive as a collective group of the 60 coming in. Then obviously with, you know, the 64 college teams and how does that work on the business side? So I think there's some potential revenue generation opportunities for the CHL owners. Then there's the opportunity for marketing in terms of, oh, our, our CHL players, and we promote education because they love to promote the education package, if that's even going to exist anymore, but they promote education, then they can go back and market back to their, their team and then back to their communities that X number of players have gone on to college hockey and got their education, which we were trying to build that, build a player, build a person, build, you know, you know, build a man. 
from a CHL standpoint, build a citizen. So thoughts on that standpoint of looking at it from that perspective of, you know, 20 year olds, maybe, you know, being eligible and leaving, or maybe some nine year olds, depending on how it's structured and how that could benefit the CHL from, you know, from a business standpoint, because sometimes we obviously look at from a player standpoint, there's an advantage on player development for the CHL player, but from the business standpoint as well. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there for sure. I mean, you hit on one of them and that's a co-branding opportunity where you've got, um, I mean, obviously the, the thought behind this, um, if we eliminate the noise of nil and everything else, you have to believe that the thought behind this is to make um, the NCAA even better than it is today. Like to open up more opportunities to recruit more players than they already have an opportunity to recruit. And NCAA hockey is doing fine as it is. It's a great, it's a great, uh, great way to develop. It's a great way to be a student athlete, all that kind of stuff. But this gives those coaches and those programs an extra opportunity. Um, you know, it's going to be fascinating to me because it is a double-edged sword chain. Like, you, you know, do you really want to lose one of your good 19 year old players to go down and play at Michigan state instead of keeping them in your building, which puts extra bodies in your building, which is a revenue generator. Let's be honest. Like the better right. your teams are at the, at the CHL level, the more people come to watch the games. And, um, so that that's fascinating in itself. And then, you know, you, you touched on how they, they, the CHL is saying, you know, we develop people and as students beyond just hockey players well then that is that is a thing you know if they see a program that they'd like to go join in the states uh, education wise how does that affect the school package what's that look like you know now are we are we apples to apples in terms of dollar value because it's going to be a whole different expense model if you will if they're going to be contributing to the u.s model and and I haven't even got into the the, the costing of uh, certain schools. I mean, it costs way more to go to Michigan than it does Michigan State, like a, a private compared to a state school in the state. So I don't know. Branding opportunity at the forefront. There's an opportunity there. You can just see it right now, right? They're flying the same flag with everything. And and and, and, uh, and, the, and TV the, market, the, right? TV like, market could be. Yeah, that's an opportunity for the TV market. Um, wow, there, there's there's a lot going on there. Yeah, and you look at it from from a licensing standpoint, from TV streaming because you have to put those all in into one package, you know. And then you know the seat like we we grew up in. We have a minute left, but we grew up in an era where there was a bit of a pissing contest between the different leagues and the different entities, and they're always fighting for recruitment. And I think in I think what the pandemic has done for hockey in a positive way has made us all realize that we're all in the same pool swimming together and you can't pee in the pool because we're all in the same pool. Right. <laughs> so we have to recognize that, you know, the partnerships are actually more beneficial to the collective group. It's going to rise all boats in that respect. And I think we have to start as a collective group in the hockey industry, looking at things like entrepreneurs and then how we can all benefit each other. Because sooner or later, if we get, we get players into you know, into the NHL, we all benefit, right? So let's start like more partnership in terms of that standpoint, instead of being these entities that are always constantly fighting over fiefdoms, because I think in a global world, we just can't afford to do that in, in hockey business anymore. We just can't. So we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll continue the discussion right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown, on their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat. 
a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, they design solutions for hockey operations and hockey business operations. Once again, we're continuing to talk to Jason Buchel from the Pro Hockey Group and Sportsnet about the potential of CHL players becoming eligible to play in college hockey we focused on the chl in a previous segment i'd like to get your thoughts on it from an nhl perspective so there's a couple different layers here let's start on the player development side drafting players developing players and the impact of a potential and you mentioned a little bit in the chl of looking at it could have a third round pick maybe he's a lanky skinny defensive defenseman or a two-way defenseman who just needs more time and you don't want to put him in the American Hockey League and you can put him into college hockey, say, for three years and have him pull out or two, um, depending on what his development cycle. But it just gives the NHL team and the player more time to fulfill that developmental cycle that's necessary before he enters the American Hockey League. Because as we know, the American Hockey League is a meat grinder. It's a very, very tough league to play in. And we've seen many kids that are second and third and fourth round picks have a really hard time adjusting and it just, it alters their whole developmental process. It does. It does. Yeah. So, you know, here, here we are talking about a CHL player. There's two, two different things that at work. So um, one is a development model, which is, you know, we've drafted a player. He's not quite ready to turn pro in our system for whatever reason, strength, you know, and just skating, whatever it is. Um, So this opens up the opportunity potentially for him to extend his development. Two things that are wrong with that out of the gate. Um, what's the clock going to look like? Because if he was drafted, right now the draft is at 18, okay? So if he's drafted uh, in his 18 birth year um, and he now plays, uh, you know, 17 turning 18, if he, if, he, if he plays two years and now we send him to college, well, that college team, you know, they're going to be greedy as well. They're going to want to keep this player for four years if possible. So, you know, is it going to open up that window where 
some it's similar to some European markets where if you don't sign him by a certain period of time, he just stays on your list and you can sign him. He's you still own him until right. the end of his college career, right? Or are you going to want to bring him out in a couple of years? Which is that goes on anyways right now. Like right. Anybody who think thinks that, yeah, yeah, like that's, that's going relevant. on, right? Yeah. It's uh, so. I don't know. It's going to be fascinating. To, there's two different things there, though. You got you got the kid who's been drafted, so it's for development purposes. Then you got the second kid who just goes down there to get better, to extend his career. Now he becomes a free agent, NHL free agent, right? Because he was never drafted in the CHL. Um, I mean, wh- wh- where's the development money going to go? Like, that's my question. One of my questions right out of the hop. Like, if he ends up, if, you know, developing, if he's in college for three years compared to two years at the CHL level, anybody is drafted out of the CHL. From the NHL side of things, the agreement, like where's the development money going to go when this kid signs an NHL contract? And right. Do you have to split um, it amongst the entities of saying, okay, you were two years here and two, three years year, there. You get, based on how many years it is, you get X. X. And here's the other thing. Like, honestly, every, I think you've mentioned it before, every single agreement is going to have to start from a blank slate you're gonna have to start all over with the ncaa yeah no amendments can't just revise what you have everything's gonna have to start all over again here's what the time is on here here's what this model is this model because ideally you're gonna want to try and bring them closer together to be the same yes um and then you know geez what kind of effect does this have on the draft you know like like do we look at potentially punting the draft down one more you know should there should it be a 19 year old draft should it be a 19-year-old draft instead of an 18-year-old draft? And then, um, wow, there's a lot to unpack. Well, and that's also like I always get the counter argument from the agent saying, well, as an 18-year-old, and we'll say we'll use Connor Bedard as an example, well, you're restricting my client's ability to make a living, which entirely is not true. You're restricting them to play in the NHL, which is a private company, and they're allowed to restrict who plays in their league. It's their right. So, and an HL player can go play in Europe. Like Austin Matthews already set that precedent where you're an 18 year old, you can go play and you're trying to tell me there isn't a European team that wouldn't have gave Connor Bedard a million dollars or more, more than his entry level deal he would make to go play there for a year. Of course they would, because it's going to be the draw. So if you want to do that, that's also an option. It makes the player's ability to play where they want to play more fluid so it's not restricted in that in that case where the chl is certainly going to have to try to protect their players the best they can and that will be one of the things that i think they'll really hone in on is okay we want to keep as many nitros as we possibly can so it's really okay can your first like the first two round picks can they go or or is it only the first round picks can go the year early, right? And then it subsequent years it changes where the second round picks can go this year and then everybody goes. Right. There'll have to be some steps involved in that. I was pondering that last night uh before we you know recorded this the show, is what what are those steps? And everybody's gonna have to be in alignment of that. Now the NCAA for like that for their standpoint, not the college hockey teams, like they're just going to open up the door. They'll say, yeah, you're eligible and you guys figure it out. And now it's going to be up to the college teams and obviously the CHL, the USHL and the, and, and the NHL to come together and figure out a working agreement from, from a, that's no, fascinating. From a that's fascinating in itself. That's fascinating in itself though, because, you know, over the years, I know the CHL has wanted to keep its own, you know, as long as it could, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, the, that's why, Kids don't go right to the NHL uh, unless 
you know, they're, you know, the Connor Bedards of the world. Like there's, right. there's plenty of, you know, when we drafted Owen Tippett back in the day in Florida, you know, our preference was in his second year of, of development as a CHL level, you know, he was, he was ready for a new challenge, but the rules didn't allow us to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, the NCAA as well. Take a look at the, uh, you know, in the past, they've restricted this type of opportunity now because they've opened up that whole nil um, situation down south of the border. That's like a Pandora's box. And I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but it seems to me that, uh, um, again, those guys, those athletes are getting treated like pro athletes now. And so they don't have uh, they don't have a crutch, do they? If, like they generally they literally have to open up the door and say to the leagues, you guys figure it out. Yeah. No, and I think it's an opportunity from a business standpoint for all the entities to come together and work as a collective group instead of working within their fiefdoms, because otherwise you're going to put it in the hands of the, of the player agents or family advisors, as you know, they're called in, you know, if they're if they're eligible, but because you don't want to put them necessarily all in their hands because they'll do whatever they think is best for their individual client. So you're trying to maintain, you know, balance in terms of that. And then from an NHL standpoint, I think it's better for the NHL to have a 19 year old draft. I think it's better for the league to push the age farther along before the kids get into the NHL. And it's much better for the scouting departments. I could, I can hear the collective like screaming from the amateur scouts. Yes. Let's have a nine year old draft. Cause we both know what it's like to try to dra- try to scout a 17, eight year old kid. That extra year makes a huge difference. Well, you look at the kid in Calgary this year, who's just a late birthday, um, Carter uh, Yakumchuk, like, you know, he's a late birthday and look at, Look at how much further along he is this year because of being a late birthday uh, compared to where he was last year. And that's an example of what I'm talking about that extra year. He falls under that late birthday, the way that it's set up right now. But but you understand the premise, you know, like he needed yes. that extra year. And, uh, and, you know, he's looking like he's going to be a first round NHL pick. So, um, yeah, it's uh, – I'm not. I'm not opposed to that extra year. I have to say that, and uh, and I I don't know why the CHL would ever be opposed to it because it gives them an extra year or two with real good quality uh, players in their system, which drives their business better. And that's where you think you know, and that also trickles down to Junior A in Canada, which I think is in a bit of a quagmire in terms of understanding what they're going to do next. You know, there's factions that are not happy with how things are structured. So how would this affect that? Like, you're almost pushing the best junior A teams into one league to play against each other. And all the other leagues potentially could be junior B because now the NCAA is saying, well, the CHL players can come. So, you know, does that push players into the CHL knowing that that's the best path? And I don't, I'm not, I know I'm no longer restricted. So what happens with that? I don't know either. Like, I'm going to have to have you back on the show where like after we do two more digging and like maybe towards the end of the year and like flush this out. Cause. Um, well, you said it before, it'll create a super league and that's exactly what will happen for tier yeah. two, tier two hockey. will they'll find the 10 or 15 best teams across Canada. They'll create a super league and then everything else will be below it because that super league is going to have to compete as close to being on par as the CHL yep. to get players to go south of the border otherwise they won't so it's 
it's going to be really interesting. I don't think we've been in a more fascinating time in, in hockey, particularly when it comes to hockey operations and obviously the CHL. But Jason, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate your insight. Yeah, thanks, Shane. No problem. Have a good day. Well, uh, take a quick break, but we'll be back right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and brought to you by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development at OutsideEdge.ca. We're speaking with Pat Malloy. The topic is synergistic approach to scouting, analytics, development, and performance. And Pat, you know, we're talking about scarcity in terms of understanding, and, and I thought Brad brought up a really good point about we talk about best player available that at a certain point in the draft that tends to wane in terms of looking at specific players and player styles and positions that are necessary because there is a deficiency in your organization. But then if you look at it from performance standpoint or player development or asset based, there are certain playing styles and positions that are far more scarce in the NHL, that are far more valuable when you do hit on them. Like we look at power forwards as an example. We look at a player like Tom Wilson and that ilk and how few power forwards there really are in the NHL, the Matthew Tuchucks, the Brady Tuchucks of the world. And we look at offensive defensemen of how few of those really are in the NHL and how valuable those are. And you can look at that and take try to find information from all those different sources and stitch that together so that they can go to you as a player development and say, hey, what do you think about what do we need to succeed as an offensive defenseman in this league? So as that playing style, from a development standpoint, what do you think we need? And then you're looking at it from the, through the scouts lens, and you're looking at it through an analytical statistical lens. So, you know, and then looking at it from a mental component, because the mental stress is on, you know, an offensive defenseman may be different than a defensive defenseman. So from your perspective, it, you know, how do you, how do you add synergy to that approach? 
You know, it, it's an interesting way. I, I, I'm a big believer that, that each organization has a style of play, a view of which the way they want their team to play. And, and when you talk about best player available, you know, that's, that's one way of looking at it. I, I like to look at it from a, do they fit the blueprint or the DNA of the way this organization plays? And you start to see the most successful organizations, they have a blueprint. They have a commonality about the way they play, but the pieces fit. So they're not necessarily, you know, jamming round holes and square pegs and, and this. It's, it's people fit within the mold of the way they play the game. And so, you know, if, if we know that we can go and find, you take a power forward, for instance, how many good size, decent skating, good skating kids are there at the major junior level that, that maybe aren't given the freedoms to develop into better versions of themselves or more modern versions of what the power forward game is now because they're, you know, they're turned into straight line, you know, puck pursuit type players and don't necessarily wind up pushing the needle at the pro level, you know, with the right resources to go and look and say, all right, this player checks these boxes from a mobility perspective, from a base skill set perspective, and from an information or gameplay processing perspective, but they're really playing a linear get after it kind of game because that's what's required in in major junior. And that's what the, the coach wants me to play like. Can we uncover the fact that maybe there's more under the hood of that particular prospect that when channeled and, and, and maybe pointed in the direction of realizing some of that trajectory, again, that becomes a competitive advantage. And, you know, from the development perspective, hockey's such a creature of habit type sport in that, you know, here I am in, in the city of Ottawa and you'll go around the city of Ottawa today and you go into any rink that, that happens to be, you know, operating or, or has prospects or young players in it. And it's, it's jumping over this. It's their eyes glued in their boots. It's, it's static state power skating that doesn't really change much in a player's ability to move. And it's, you know, we see that at certain levels where rather than in figuring out how a prospect learns, enhancing their ability to take in the information that'll allow them to push the performance needle from a gameplay perspective, skills and development gets painted with, uh, you know, did they get a million puck touches with their eyes down at one isolated speed, jumping over things or going down the ice on one leg and doing something that isn't, you know, transferable or realistic to gameplay or emptying the garage out on the ice. And then wondering why, from a perspective of, does it appear they have skill, but they have no game relatable skill and it doesn't translate and their analytic numbers drop because they don't have any ability to change the fortunes of the people on the ice, their team when they're on the ice, but they spend the bulk of their time in development season doing things that really don't aid them to improve. And so, you know, for me, I think it's understanding organizationally, how do we want to play? What things do we value? And then look at some of those things that are sort of undervalued, but high priority from our organizational belief, because we know we can develop them and bring them out in people. Again, that leads me back to that uh, competitive advantage that I think when you apply the right people, the right smart people in the right positions and, and have that blueprint to follow, it can really be a competitive advantage. Pat, do you feel that the NHL teams uh, should basically create more specialized development roles uh, for for player types. So for instance, we just discussed power forwards, right? Yep. My, my question is, instead of giving you, so let's say we give you theoretically Matthew Nyes, and mm-hmm. we know that your specialist 
in being able to help develop a player's ability to create a pocket device in small areas. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's something that theoretically Matthew Nye's uh, isn't very good at or developing yet. Mm -hmm. Is it one of those situations where if, if you have multiple player development coaches, one that's more generalized and one more specialized, that gives a significant advantage? Or do you believe that it shouldn't be that way? It shouldn't be based off specializations. It should be more generalized. And then the, the blueprint is created uh, beforehand. And then you can just have, you can have a much more clear-cut, efficient model that, that's just well-rounded. I, I, you know, for me, I, I think in terms of the organization, when we talk about that four-pronged approach, understanding what our scouts thought and what drew us to bringing this person into our organization, for instance, how we evaluate them, what our analytics crowd says in terms of, you know, our organization's analysts look at it and say, this is the way we see this person impacting. And then from a development and performance perspective, I, I think that when you evaluate, you'd recognize, all right, here are the physical tools we have. And, and maybe the development coach that deals with said player becomes the one that's got you know, the ability to impact from a learning perspective, the, the area of developmental need that we identify as a department saying, you know what, it isn't a strength issue. It isn't a, a postural skating issue. So maybe the skating coach isn't the person, but maybe it's the person now that can take some of the granular video. It can take some of the granular habit-based training and say, you know, here are situations where, you do a good job of getting a, a wall built around a puck, but you don't accelerate in, on first touch to create the next spot and then habitually look to make the next play. You know, you're happy to possess it and, and you know, because potentially your body type or your, your play type to this point in your career has been one that I'll just battle until the next play makes itself available because I can't see anything else but that versus, you know, recognizing maybe it becomes creating some movement, getting some spacing, you know, opening lanes and, and seeing that and then building those little micro skills from a technical standpoint that allow me sort of macro tactical execution, meaning, you know, take the small, wire the small parts of the chip and then allow it to work as a, a bigger unit once we've built that proficiency and confidence in those movements from, you know, the A to Z approach in terms of what's next. And so I've always been a big believer that especially young players, they earn the right to advance for sure. But if you feed them the right things, you'll find they'll digest a whole lot easier than if we're sending things that maybe don't apply to them their play type, their body type, their talent type, number one. Number two, if, if we don't put it in pieces and in ways that they can learn it and, and ways that they can process that information and apply it to themselves, that becomes a bit of the issue. So for me, I think it's having the people within the department that no matter what the case may be, you know, for instance, if it's a postural thing, if it's a skating deficiency, there might need to be someone within the organization that is a skating specialist that can relate to how do you skate within the game of hockey, not another ice sport potentially that, you know, allows for level change or has different demands on their body than maybe a hockey player would, but, you know, helping a, a player like that recognize you don't have to skate like Connor McDavid to be effective in skating the game as, as you being you and you being the best prospect and player that you can be. But it's, it's really for me having those resources to lead you know, the right aspect of what they need. And, and so sometimes that's a player development coach that was a former player that, you know, they can act as a mentor from the perspective of 
you know, helping players grow through what it is to be a young pro and those things, but there's more to it than that, right? There's, there's people that spend their lifetime teaching skills. And so because you did something doesn't necessarily mean you can teach it or that you can identify it as a deficiency in another person, you know, come up with a blueprinted plan on how to teach and change patterns, habit patterns, detail patterns, identification skills, awareness skills, some of those things that, you know, the people that do that stuff for a living are are quite differently, you know, different in their approach than someone that may have done it for a while as a player, but didn't really recognize how do I teach this? And what do I do if the way I teach it's not absorbed and I have to figure out a new way to teach it so that the player that I'm dealing with, you know, understands it and can apply it. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest links is having done something's great, but, you know, especially in a development capacity, it's not about you. It's about your ability to impact change in your student. And, and that's, you know, that's something that you can't get around the concept that just because maybe I can do something, if I can't empower you to do it through my teaching method or my teaching process, then that, that information is, is lost within me, unfortunately. Pat, once again, uh, fantastic segments. Really appreciate your insight and look forward to uh, speaking to you in the future. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That's Pat Malloy. We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio right after these messages. Every play, every stat, Every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all in one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now speaking with Pat Malloy, player development and skills coach in our new segment on player development. And the topic this week is on skating and skating athlete versus artist. So, Pat... Um, Every week we're going to get into a new topic, and I find this one fascinating because as I read it, 
I was like really um, urged to either call you or text you to ask you what you specifically mean by that, but I wanted to save it for the show. So give our listeners out there the difference between the, you know, the, the athlete as a skater and the artist as a skater. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Um, Really when we, we talk about skating um, obviously there's, you know, there's multiple ice sports and what we see a lot, you know, in in my travels, having been a a skating coach in the national hockey league, um, you know, in in player development, we see a lot of different influences on and, and different areas that are pulled upon our athletes. And with, with regard to skating, we see a lot of times there's sort of the athletic approach, the athletic learned movement approach of how to develop a prospect skating. And then we see sort of the, you know, the artistic approach um, where we take coaches from other ice sports and, and we see some of the influence that they bring um, when it comes to impacting skating performance in a hockey player. And so really, you know, it's it's one of those things I've found fascinating to, to break down and to see. And, and a lot of what I do, obviously, is evidence-based. And, and I like to make sure there's a, you know, a clear and concise line where we can say, all right, the things that we do impact or they don't. And I found it very fascinating when you start to delve into, you know, figure skating or a speed skating background and then, you know, incorporate it into the, you know, the game-specific movements of hockey skating and some of the things we find. So it's, it's certainly really that the, the athletic approach versus the, the artistic approach um, in the sport of say figure skating versus hockey skating and, and some of the nuances between, you know, how one is coached versus the other. Uh, Pat, when, when it comes to the skating foundation, do you feel that there are integral aspects that are basically the fundamental uh, components of scouting as an example um, if you if you're seeing a player and that player has a poor posture does his poor posture put him in a position where the rest of his skating mechanics can fundamentally break down until it's corrected 100 percent. i mean probably the biggest driver when we look at the idea of uh, power acquisition speed generation and quickness you know really originates from posture so you know when when we look at a prospect when I, when I look at game film and see how they move in the natural environment, and, you know, then you get them into a session where you're trying to do some prescriptive or, or some corrective measures protocol, I'll call it, where we start to break it down. What we'll start to look at is, is all right, number one, does their posture support power acquisition? You know, hockey's a power sport. We've got to be able to access the power in our legs to move our mass. And so, for sure, if posture is off, it, it not only um, creates inefficiencies and equities in movement, but it, it, it robs us of the power we need to move our mass. Um, it, it really impacts our ability to create speed from the power we've generated. And then from a quickness perspective, you know, stride turnover and things are, are impacted based on the idea that, you know, we're playing catch up all around the ice. And, and anybody that knows me has probably heard me talk a little bit about seconds saved or seconds earned. Uh, much like the old saying, a penny saved is a penny earned. Well, I'm a big believer in terms of your movement that second saves are, are seconds earned to make plays. And so, you know, from a, a hockey player standpoint and a prospect standpoint, is is your movement something that allows you, that affords you time, or is it something that costs you time? And, you know, the first indicator of that for me is, is certainly posture. Uh, to follow up, Pat, um, 
one area with posture specifically that I find fascinating when I'm evaluating prospects is if they are hunched over and they don't they don't show a proper straight straight back or they can't seat, uh, sit back in their hip line uh, to generate power, it, I look to see if it's a byproduct of uh, lack of core activation. And I look mm-hmm. to see if their strength is that is that a massive part for you when it comes to player development is to see the st- the stabilizer muscles to see how stable the the player is on the ice so you should get an idea if the if the core is deactivated uh, so that you know that that's the byproduct of why the posture isn't there or is there is there another way that you do it? I mean, for, for me, this sort of lends itself to to the idea of the athletic approach versus the artistic approach. I mean, in my experience, a- any skating coach that that we're as good as we as as we can be based on our ability to work in unison with strength and conditioning staff so there's there's athletic components there's strength and conditioning components that really meld and and mesh well from a technical standpoint with a skating coach so there is no magic artistry to it it really is um you know we we've got to be a team in order to get maximum output in, in changing a player's skating and so for things like activation and, and things like you know core stabilization or hip impingements and all those certain things you know that really falls under the realm of strength and conditioning but the things that they overlap on are certainly things that we overlap on from a skating perspective and so it's it's not a um a magical artistic thing in that we can correct or or technique our way through um, athletic issues we really have to work you know in unison and sing from the same songbook in terms of all right let's how does the athlete move are there are there inequities in in the athletic portion strength portion flexibility portion engagement portions that we need to be aware of in order to get the maximum amount of benefit in terms of making any technical change um, to a young athlete. It's Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, leagues worldwide. We're talking about player development with Pat Malloy, player development and skills coach. Our topic this week is skating, athlete versus the artist. Uh, Pat, uh, we've got about three minutes left. Um, just a quick question on, you know, it, is there a difference uh, in from your perspective, like say activated stamp, stance development, you know, with the sunken hips to ensure quad activations, purpose of uh, power acquisition? Um, is it better from an athletic standpoint or an artistry standpoint? Do you find there's any difference between the two is there more corrections with one or the other i mean i i think it, it really goes coach to coach one of the things that that i think is prevalent in the game of hockey is is you know eight to twelve foot races and so for for me from a skating coach perspective um i really believe level change is the enemy to to generating speed and so if again going back to the idea that if i'm activated in my posture i'm not you know outside of my base i'm not standing in an a frame where i'm having to make initial movements that are sort of inefficient in order to generate momentum in the direction i'm going um you know the concept is is i need to be able to have bullets in the gun if you will so i have to be in a loaded and activated stance the game is so fast at the national hockey league level you you can't afford to have foot races um endure and and they're over before they begin you know at the national hockey league level so 
you know, inefficiencies not being activated um, is is death in, in terms of those eight to twelve foot races, and in terms of those eight to twenty foot races. From the artistic perspective, you look at a lot of other ice sports and the level change that goes with it. I mean, it's important that we recognize, you know, the the skate that a hockey player uses versus other sports, but the level change that's condoned in other sports versus ours, just straight from a move your mass perspective, you know, if there's a a 15, a 12, an 8-foot race and we want to be first, you know, possession is king, um, we want to make sure we're getting you there first and, and making sure you've got every ability to move your mass faster than the next guy um you know you hear coaches talk a lot about for instance off of face-offs just being down and set and ready to jump um it's really no difference you know from from a, a, a base skating posture an activated base of skating is going to allow you to get initial first push or you know something i'll talk a lot about is an initial push in a new direction needs to be a separating step and so if, if it's not creating time, it's costing time. And so a lot of that comes back to that activation, that posture, that ability to be fluid, but that ability to create force, you know, almost on demand is, is really a separator. And so level change that we'll see from the artistic standpoint where, you know, you're agile and you're athletic and you can come up out of stance and hold an edge and those things are great. Um, and, and, you know, from a fluidity and an athleticism standpoint and an edge command standpoint, those things are great, but it's really important that we, you know, we're activated and we can, we can go when we need to go. Well, Pat, that was great insight on the development, uh, you know, athlete versus artist in skating. Uh, we look forward to having you on every week to continue the discussion and player development. And we're going to have to take a quick break on hockey prospect radio. We come back. We'll have more prospect talk right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. 
We are back in part by Power Player, Hockey Player Development Software at thepowerplayer.com. It's our regular se- segment with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach. Dr. Willis, thank you very much for coming on our show. We always appreciate it. Nope, glad to be here. As we uh, continue through your book, Hockey Grit, Grind in Mind, we are just finishing up Chapter 4, uh, which the title is Purpose. The last topic is taking action. And, you know, from our previous segments that, you know, Brad and I and you were talking about, um, taking action, I think everybody, like, they understand the action part of it. However, like, some of the things that, you know, interest me and I'm always concerned about is, like, you know, there's being productive and there's just, like, doing stuff. Um, can you talk a little yeah, bit about, yeah, like, you know, yeah. action versus production? Right. And obviously you want to take action, but it has to be productive in terms of like, you know, di- we talk about, you know, in player development or in scouting, dedicated practice and, and focused practice. And, uh, you know, when you're doing your work, you get hyper focused and you, you you accomplish a tremendous amount of, of work in a short period of time because you're, you know, you're either in some sort of flow state um, or, you know, in the zone, as some other people call it. Um, you know, give us a little background when you have these discussions with your you know, with your hockey players and your clients about, you know, purpose and then taking action. I think um, the emphasis that I try to make with my guys is that sort of going through the whole goal setting process to me is super important, right? You got to know where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, how do you know if you're on the right path? How do you know if you're going to get there? Right. But the problem with it is that because it feels like work, right. Setting these goals, deciding what my, my tasks and my mission is going to be, it feels like work. And so when you're done doing all of that, you feel like you're done, but you haven't started anything, right? All you've done is created a plan. And that's where I lose guys. They feel like, oh no, I did that. Yeah, no, I have goals. No, I did that. But then it comes up, well, what are you, what are you working on right now? What, what is that task that you're, you know, and get, oh no, well, yeah. So that, that we're, I'm, I'm going to start on that. I'm going to start working on that. And so there's this weird disconnect. I always use the example of, you know, sometimes when you buy a book, right, you buy a book on a topic that you love. And now I have this book and I can read this book anytime I want. So it goes on the shelf and, you know, a year later, you've never read the book. Why? Well, because I have the book, I can read the book. So I'll just read it when I read it. But that's not going to work. If you want to move up in this game, if you want to be the best, if you want to outshine others, then you better be doing the work. And that's why I think taking action is so, so important. And I always like to sort of point to guys like, you know, Connor McDavid and his regimen coming home from school. You know, he would set up cones in his driveway and he would do all these drills every single day, you know regardless, he, he, he could be sick and he would do it. He, it could be raining. He would do it. It didn't matter. He was going to do that. And his day wasn't over until he did that. And that was just one of his goals. And now, you know, he's special in, in what he's been able to accomplish. And so you're going to say, well, is that why? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but it sure can't hurt. And I hope my whole point is that if you're going to set goals, that's great. I'm really proud of you, but you better get to work and you better know what I should be working on right now so I can move closer to those goals. Kevin, just to, to speak to goal drilling, do you feel that um, there's there's an aspect to it where if you do too much of it, then it's the law of diminishing returns where you got you got to do it correctly and you got to do it in a way where uh, you don't over um, 
overuse your resources in terms of just doing them doing drills that uh, give you the muscle memory to to create and execute the skill do you feel that there is there is yeah. a aspect of that yeah well i i think creativity is my favorite now i i gotta say you know years ago coaches were not really fans of of guys being creative in practice right you do the drill like i wrote it out and i that's it and in the games you do what i want you to do and that's it but now I think the game is, is so fast and it's so skilled that this creativity, I think, is really important. And so to get to your point about, you know, sort of just drilling these these skills into the ground. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that um, if you're not able to sort of look at the reason that you're doing the drill. Right. So I'm, I'm going in the back corner. I'm battling. I'm turning. I'm hitting the guy coming into the slot, whatever. OK, so. I can do that. I can do it over and over and over again. But you and I both know that when it comes to hockey, that everybody else has a different agenda. And so that that battle, that guy coming down the slot, the defender, um, that's not exactly the way it was in the in the uh, in the drill. So I have better be able to understand the point of that um, as well, because that gives me time on my own to work on those skills and to get better. Because at the end of the day, it's not about telling kids how to practice it's telling kids how to play right so that you can think and you can execute um and the coaches can't do that for these guys on the ice we're listening to hockey prospect radio on sirius xm nhl network radio i'm shane malloy with brad allen from hockeyprospect.com brought to you by the power player hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com we're chatting with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach, about his book, Hockey, Grit, Grind, and Mind, as we go through Chapter 4, which is titled Purpose, and the topic in this segment is Taking Action. Dr. Willis, one of the things about in terms of, like, taking action, and, and you had mentioned it, and Brad had mentioned it too as well, is, like, how do you discuss with your clients about the mental, emotional fatigue once you start taking action – and you understand that, you know, there's a certain level of repetitiveness that has to happen, but you should, you know, induce some level of creativity to keep that um, fresh and new and interesting and to fire on fire off a bunch of different neurons. And um, that's always, you know, critical for, for, you know, mental growth. But from that emotional standpoint, I'm just like, you feeling like you're burning out, you're taking action, but like, you have that discussion, okay? You are going to take action, but here are some of the steps that you're going to have to take in terms of like to ensure that you maintain a level of, you know, mental, emotional stability, and then have that active recovery that is necessary so that you can feel rejuvenated and go right back into it again. Yeah, well, that's now you're talking about that recovery piece. And oh, my gosh, you know, it's it's never too early to learn that. But kids, see, they have so much energy that they would go and go and go and go. And I don't worry so much about them sort of losing that passion. But as you start moving up the ranks, you're getting into these elite leagues, you're 14, 15, 16 years old, playing at a high level. Every single player on the ice is good. You're stressed out because you can't afford to make a mistake. You can't afford to, to do anything to, you know, sort of look bad in the coach's eyes. And so now all of a sudden that mental pressure is, is ramped up really, really high. And we forget that the mental pressure is a energy that's burning in 
you know, the, the bodies of these young athletes. And so just like they're skating and passing and shooting and exerting all of this physical energy, that mental energy that they're burning um, is, is extremely high and it can take away from their overall fitness. Right. And you see it all the time as the pressure goes up from a, a, a mental standpoint, the, the fatigue also goes up. And it's, it's one of the reasons why you see, you know, some teams sort of, you know, fading out later in the games, not so much because they're not physically fit, but because they aren't mentally fit. Kevin, do you feel that one of the best ways to reduce burnout rate is to, is, I, I hate to use the cliche, but is to remind yourself that you, you need to go out there and have fun. I know it's for professional players, it's, it's a very fine balance between results uh, performance results, and then just having a good time, time on the ice. But do you feel that it's, it, there, the ability to have fun allows a drawback uh, mechanism within the mind. So you can start looking at the bubble again and say, okay, hang on. I'm, I'm putting way too much pressure on myself. I'm collapsing under my own pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think fun is so important. I, I love the word fun, but sometimes, you know, I think coaches or even really driven teammates sort of take that as a turnoff. We're not here to have fun. We're here to win, right? We're here to, to win the championship or to get better or whatever. And so I, I, I'm careful not to use fun, but I think passion, you, you can be intense with passion, right? You can, you can be willing to win ugly with passion. And so I love that word passion is, is that if you aren't, you know, if you wouldn't do, if, if this is something that you wouldn't do, if everybody left the arena, there's nobody around, nobody watching you, then I wonder how much you really, really love this, right? If, if, if on the other hand, you know, you do this regardless, if anybody said anything nice about you, if any, any compliments came your way, but you would still be doing this, then I know that you are really, really passionate about it. And so when you're passionate, you don't, I don't worry about burnout. I don't because it's, it's a, it's a managed flame, but if you're doing it because mom or dad or your coach or your uncle Bob or, or whatever thinks, oh my gosh, you're really, really good. You've been good since you were nine and now you're 14 and man, you're so good. You're so good. But the kid's sitting there going, I know, but this isn't fun anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Houston, we got a problem. Well, we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we'll be back right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. 
Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back at Powered by PowerPlayer, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach, about his book, Hockey Grit, Grind and Mind. We're now into Chapter 5, Practice. Uh, the subtopic we're speaking about in this segment is the science of skill. Uh, Dr. Willis, could you break down a little bit of what that specifically means uh, from your perspective in the mental game and when you're speaking with uh, hockey players and your clients about that aspect? So I think this idea of, of deliberate practice, uh, purposeful practice is really gaining a lot of traction. And years ago, nobody was talking about it. They thought you worked hard, you practice, it's muscle memory and all that kind of stuff. But what does that really mean? And so the idea behind practice, deliberate practice and the science of skill is this idea that the more you practice, the more that these different neurons are firing in your brain, right? And the more they fire, the, the stronger they get. So if they fire and fire and fire because of these different movements, because of this different sort of mental approach, then they, they get stronger. And there's this, you know, I don't get too sciencey, but not only do they get stronger, but the insulation around those neurons increases, which allows them to be fast. I mean, like super fast, right? So if you know anything about cabling for, you know, electricity or anything like that, it's, it's all about the, 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 the diameter of the wire and the diameter of the insulation. And it's that that allows this conductivity to be, you know, faster or slower, depending on that. And so we have this ability to, when we work on something, when we practice something over and over and over again, we have the ability to increase the diameter of the wire as well as wrapping that wire in insulation. So we get a bigger pipe and we get a faster pipe and every single one of these, and we have a hundred billion connections, you know, in our brain and a hundred million wires in our brain all coming together. And every single time we practice something, we are creating a groove, right? We heard it wired, right? We're wiring our brain for specific skills. And so the idea behind it is not just something I remember to do. I learned how to do it. Now I remember it. No, you have physically changed your body to execute that skill automatically, right? And the more you do it, the better you get. And that's why pros are pros. Uh, Kevin, just to your point uh, for our listeners, um, I do have a psych background. I found I find this topic exceptionally interesting because it's, uh, the definition I would use to describe what we're talking about here is neuroplasticity. Uh, one thing that's interesting about neuroplasticity is that it's more difficult uh, for our brain to rewire as we age. So when you hit approximately that age of 25, 26, that is when your brain no longer is as plastic as it is when you're a juvenile. So my question for you, Kevin, is 
when you hit that 25 and 26 year age of development, do you feel that the, the, the way that you need to structure your practices need to be reoriented just based off the fact that you are not as plastic, that your brain is more rigid, that there isn't as much neuroplasticity occurring? There's not as much. And I think it's really not so much that you're not um, able to wire it, but it's a, it's, it's not as effective as when you were younger. And the thing about when you're younger is that you've got so many neurons, right? When you're born, you've got a gazillion little babies. They have so many more neurons than we do as adults. It's not even funny, but what happens is as you're, as this baby is growing up and it's learning to do things and all that kind of stuff, um, a lot of this stuff is being pruned away. It's just, it wasn't needed, right? Um, you ever hear the thing, well, it's easier to learn a, a foreign language as a kid than it is as an adult. Well, that's one of the reasons they've got more neurons. And so that once that starts to get sort of pruned away, then you're left with what you're left. And, and now you, you use what you've got. The other thing is that as you get older, there are other parts of your brain that are coming online, you know, in the early going, these are, were in sort of in development. Like if you were remodeling a house, that was the garage that wasn't finished yet. But as you get older and older, it's, it's, it's done. Right. And, you know, you look at some of these, when we talk about the maturity of a player when they're 18 versus when they're 25, well, that's the difference between that part of the house not being ready yet. And now it's ready. Uh, and so you add that into it, you add in this idea of plasticity, you know, and there's more to, to work with when they're younger than when they're older. I think it's, um, it's something to consider, but I don't want anybody to think that, you know, that as they get older, that they aren't able to change. That's one of the most amazing things about all of this is um, that we, we, we have the ability to rewire our brain until the day we die, right? We, this is something that can happen forever. And it's just a matter of deciding what it is that you want to wire it to do. And, and this is important. What do you want it to do? Because if you're not deliberately wiring it the way you want, then guess what? It's possibly getting wired to somebody else's uh, needs or somebody else's uh, uh, agenda. So it, this is important. This is why we, you've got to watch how these kids are being developed. Kevin, that's, you know, both of you guys brought up like really interesting points and it was about, you know, thinking about the frontal lobe development and that neuroplasticity and, you know, frontal lobe is higher re- reasoning, decision-making and, you know, having discussions with like player development staff where they, they go, oh, I can't believe the, you know, there's these players are so inconsistent and they're all like, you know, 17, 18, 19 years of age, 20 years of age. That's well, honestly, they should be consistent. They're consistently inconsistent. Um, you know, until that, all that wiring starts to come together and the frontal lobe continues to develop. And do you find uh, there's a bit of a switch in some of your clients once they hit a certain age where you can like literally see it before your eyes that, you know, things are starting to come together? Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing, you know, that 18, 19, 20 age, you know, you're starting to see it, but they're still coming out of sort of that youth and then at 21, 22, 23, that's when you start to see the maturity that you're like, oh my God, who are you? Where did you come from? You know, you really, really are starting to, to put some stuff together. And that's when you know that, that you know, the lights are on, uh, that, 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 that extra room is completely done being remodeled. It is full on. And now this is why you see some of these players that are just exceptional at that, you know, 21, 22, 23 
that's one of the reasons why people love, you know, D1, because it gives the kids a little more time to mature and to sort of let that, that part of their brain come online. But you're exactly right. And both of you guys know how difficult it is to sort of understand what am I looking at when they're 14, 15, 16 versus what can they become when, you know, everything is, is, is working the way it should. Well, I mean, once, you know, again, it's, um, you know, if you were speaking to an NHL team, how much would you emphasize in terms of the development of, you know, that part of like, you know, the mental development of a player and saying, Hey, like based on science, based on, you know, my, you know, the, you know, the expertise uh, that you have that, you have to give these kids time. Like the ones that make it early are outliers and the vast majority, they just need this time. Otherwise like they're less likely to come out the way that both the player and the organization wants. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times I'll be honest though, it's because they're outliers with their physical skill set. They're still dealing with the, the same brain maturity as everybody else is because their skills are so high Uh, they can mask it a little bit more. The thing I love so much about watching players develop is we got to get them around pros, people that have been doing this, people that know sort of how to handle all of these new situations. And so modeling, I like to get these guys right when they're at those age groups to get around people that understand how this works, Uh, because now you're actually training that, that, you know, prefrontal cortex with with true experience and true skill instead of maybe just hoping that they figure it out on their own so yeah well we want to thank you very much for coming on our show again we always appreciate it and to all our course dr kevin willis i'm shane malloy for brad allen and we will see you at the rink every play every stat every breakdown on their own they're essential but all together they're undeniable Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. 